Welcome to the Avenue Community Church's podcast. We are a family of Christ followers seeking shalom in Memphis. We pray that you are encouraged by today's message. And as you listen, may the word of God shape you to be more like him. Uh, Deuteronomy 31 through 10 is what I'm tasked to read. When all these blessings and curses I've set before you come upon you, and you take them to heart whenever the Lord your God disperses you among the nations, and when you and your children return to the Lord your God and obey him with all your heart and with all your soul according to everything I command you today, then the Lord your God will restore you your, restore your fortunes and have compassion on you and gather you among from all the nations where he scattered you. Even if you have been banished to the most distant land under the heavens, from there the Lord your God will gather you and bring you back. He will bring you to the land that belonged to your fathers, and you will take possession of it. He will make you more prosperous and numerous than your fathers. The Lord your God will circumcise your hearts and the hearts of your descendants, so that you may love him with all your heart and with all your soul and live. The Lord your God will put all these curses on your enemies who hate and persecute you. You will again obey the Lord and follow all his commands I'm giving you today. Then the Lord your God will make you you most prosperous in all the work in all the work of your hands, in all in the fruit of your womb, and the young of your livestock, and the crops of your land. The Lord will again delight in you and make you prosperous, just as He delighted in your fathers. If you obey the Lord your God and keep His commands and decrees that are written in the book of the law, and turn to the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. Deuteronomy thirty eleven through eighteen. For this commandment that I give you today is not too hard for you, neither is it far off. It is not in heaven that you should say, who will ascend to heaven for us and bring it to us that we may hear it and do it. Neither is it beyond the sea that you should say, who will go over the sea for us and bring it to us that we may hear it and do it. But the word is very near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart so that you can do it. See. I have set before you today life and good, death and evil. If you obey the commandments of the Lord your God that I command you today by loving the Lord your God, by walking in his ways, and by keeping his commandments and his statutes and his rules, then you shall live and multiply. And the Lord your God will bless you in the land that you are entering to take possession of it. But if your heart turns away and you will not hear, but are drawn away to worship other gods and serve them, I declare to you today that you shall surely perish. You shall not live long in the land that you are going over the Jordan to enter and possess. This day I call the heavens and the earth as witnesses against you, that I have set before you life and death, blessings and curses. Now choose life so that you and your children may live and that you may love the Lord your God, listen to his voice, and hold fast to him. For the Lord is your life, and he will give you many years in the land he swore to give to your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. This is the word of the Lord. Amen, amen, amen. Hey, love you. Thank you, readers. Y'all are quite a duo. You might have to do all that again, oh. <laughs> Amen. Listen, this, uh, um, if y'all don't know, we do this summer program called 3LR that's um, Margot's leading up with Michael and Sabas, and they are killing it. Uh, how many kids we got? Eight? We got ten kiddos, man, that bless their hearts. They sit there, and um, they are just soaking in 
uh, God's word, um, uh, God's life as it's kind of being taught to them and actionized by um, their instructors and, and just showing them um, what it looks like to, to live as God's people. Um, one of the, the, the cool things is this is their verse, and this verse has always been really kind of near and dear to me, this whole chapter. The whole program is birthed out of this kind of scripture. Um, their task, the three L's, are to listen, to learn, to lead, and to repeat. Um, they listen to the word of God that's given to the people of God. They learn the ways of God that lead to life and blessing in God. And then they lead others towards that life. And then they repeat it, right? And, and my whole heart was, it's like, man, I keep having in my mind, and I know it's going to happen. I already see it, right? There's certain things that I just believe that there's certain God-given daydreams, I believe the Lord has just given me that excites me, that the next pastor of this church will come from this community. Yes! That makes me excited. That don't, don't bury me no longer, don't, no sooner than I'm ready to go. And don't make me move. I ain't moving, Gina, I ain't moving nowhere. But that excites me because what, what that will have done is from the very moment we planted this church is that we wanted to raise up indigenous leaders, Right? People who we have brought to the Lord, people who have learned and been discipled from this very neighborhood to come back and lead this neighborhood towards the King of Kings. Yes and amen. That's exciting to me, right? And so we started making these investments. Man, what, what does this look like uh, to be able to sow the culture? And I started tossing around this phrase that, hey, I believe that if we just flip one generation, if we just get one of them jokers, it will start a domino effect, and we won't even have to be the main and primary evangelizers of this neighborhood. It will come from within, and I love it. Little babies from Kingsbury High School will be leading their own Bible studies, and babies at Treadwell be like, girl, you got to come with me to church, and we won't be begging and passing out the flyers because they will be so convinced that he is the life that they'll be leading other people to it. If Y'all, I don't know what we're doing here if that's not what we're here for. Yes, and indeed. But it's this type of intergenerational ministry that has to kind of be on the forefront of all of our hearts right, that what we're doing is not just isolated for our generation, our personal piety and the devotion, but that what we choose to do, what we choose to put our hope in, who we choose to hold fast to has long-lasting generational ramifications. Do you believe it today? And if you don't, I want to give you this beautiful story of kind of tragedy and beauty um, to see how God works through the generations and how our discipleship and our following of Jesus has to be done with those types of things in mind. I only got a couple minutes. I'll get you out of here by 7, so be straight. You'll be all right. <laughs> Amen. So we're coming out of Deuteronomy, right, which is uh, the last book of the Pentateuch. It's the last book of the first five books of the Bible, but it's actually put in the middle uh, of the, 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 the books of the law and really what's going to come later, the history, right? It's going to sit right there in the middle. So it's the kind of the capstone, the end of the law, and it's kind of the rest of the historic books will be kind of interpreted in view of the, the giving of the law and the interpretation of the law. Now, Deuteronomy was named by some Greek namers of Bibles. You know, you can find those in Greek somewhere. You just got to Google it. 
I'm just playing. Sorry, y'all. Anyway. But whoever named it, the Greek people named it the second giving of the law. But actually, Deuteronomy is not a second giving of the law. Right? Deuteronomy is really an exposition or interpretation of the law that was already given. So when you look, it's like, oh, this is the second giving of the law. There was no second giving of the law. What Deuteronomy is, is a reflection. It's an interpretation on the law that was already given to them, right? Now, what you need to know about Deuteronomy is a lot of people love Deuteronomy, including your Lord and Savior, Jesus. It is the book that he has cited out of the law more often than any other. And as a matter of fact, D.A. Carson brings this to life in his introduction of Deuteronomy, that actually when Jesus begins his earthly ministry um, and he is in the wilderness for 40 days, he cited texts from Deuteronomy three times, right, to defeat the tempter. And here's one thing we got to keep in our, our purview is that when Jesus recited uh, Deuteronomy those three times, he thus paralleled Israel's 40-year period of testing in the Old Testament But by relying on the word of God, he succeeded where Israel failed. What you need to know about Deuteronomy as they're reflecting, as Moses is interpreting the word of God, he's reflecting on how Israel failed to keep the word of God, which eventually led to their demise, right? Jesus comes back, and in those 40 days, He literally recapitulates those 40 years, and because he held on to the law, he succeeded. And as a matter of fact, many theologians would say that that temptation and that overcoming in the wilderness, that really there was already, like, that was the first nail in the coffin of him overcoming the enemy, and the rest was just a fate to complete. Now, Carson goes on to say that the dominant theme of this book is that one God, how many gods? The creator has enacted in history... And he's called out a people, rescued them from slavery, and he's entered a covenant with them, calling them to love him with all their being. Now, does that sound like Christianity? It's probably a little weird because it's like, wait, wait a minute. Hold on. What's, what's the primary commandment? What do I got to do in Christianity? Love Jesus. Wait up. Wait. Wait. I got to, how many... How many times I got to read the Bible? How many times I got to visit the temple to pray? How many times? Just love him. Now, it's very simple to say. It's obviously a very hard concept to follow. And we'll learn more about this, right? But we know that in Deuteronomy, in that very familiar passage, um, the Lord our God is one. And it's our responsibility to love him with our heart, our soul, and our whole being. The Jews would recite that every morning. We call that the Shema found in Deuteronomy 6. And that is the central theme of this book. This group of people who's been redeemed, who's been rescued, they are to love that God who rescued them with all of their being. Now, when you look at Deuteronomy, it's broken kind of up into three primary parts, three sermons, if you will. And what we just, Gus and Grace, read for you was Moses' last sermon. This is Moses' farewell shebang. He's standing on the plains of Moab. He can see the promised land, but he knows he can't enter it. He could see it, he could smell it, he could taste it, but it will not be his. He preaches a last final message to a generation, the second generation of Israelites, because the former generation of Israelites have already died. They've already perished for their failure to keep God's law. Now he's speaking to their descendants one last time, right? Now this book, 
up, I'll pause, I'll go back. One of the things that you learn as you read Deuteronomy is that, yes, man, these people, they're going to the promised land. They're, they're always in constant danger. There's always tribes, Amorites, Canaanites, Hazazites, Bukazites, Uzites, South Memphisites, all that. You know what I'm saying? They, I'm just playing. They was back there too, right? There's always some Zites and Ites, right, trying to, trying to mess them up. But that wasn't their greatest enemy, y'all. As a matter of fact, what Israel found out is that their greatest threat was their own heart and their inability to keep God's covenant. But I got good news! Right, Jay, I was able to break that boy back out in 3LR. The kids were so scared. They were like, what is going on? Good news! I got some, y'all. D.A. Carson says, though the book has often been seen as a covenant renewal document, it also points forward to an ultimate resolution of the problem of evil in the human heart. God promised the seeds of such a solution long before, even in the Abrahamic covenant. The book's primary purpose as the word of God is to reveal clearly the unflinching demands of a holy God, but his provision of radical grace can I get an amen, somebody, out there? So I can't read the whole chapter again, but I just want to focus really quickly on these last two verses, which are the ones that we make our kids recite, right? Verse 19 says, This day I call heaven and earth as witnesses against you, that I have set before you life and death, right? God said, Moses is God's mouthpiece. He's saying to them, there are choices that you have. There are life and death before you, blessing and curses. And as a matter of fact, the, the, um, the first part of Moses' third sermon starts really in uh, uh, chapters 27 and 28, and they are all this just a litany of blessings and curses. You follow God, here's what happens. You don't follow, here's what don't happen. And so this is kind of the culmination in chapter 30. This day I call heaven and earth as witnesses against you that I have set before you life and death, blessings and curses. And here's that monitor. Now choose life. Choose life so that you and your children may live and that you may love the Lord your God. Listen to his voice and hold fast to him. For the Lord is your life. And he will give you many years in the land he swore to give your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Everybody say choose life. Now, the crazy thing about this, that verses 19 and 20, that's the end of this sermon. It began with this whole list of blessings and curses, right? Um, but in chapter 30, how does this thing begin? You know, uh, there was this one, uh, <laughs> I, I can't remember, I think this was about Super Bowl time a year ago, some time ago, and uh, they were like, these, these um, uh, it was a commercial from Gatorade about the most rousing halftime speeches by a coach, and what if your coach kind of came up to you and like, hey guys, we're down five, and we got two minutes to go, and I don't think we could win. It's like, what? <laughs> what? What? And so when you go back, just like good parishioners do, and you read back over Deuteronomy 30, I want you to read, read it with this in mind. What's actually happening in the first 10 verses that Gus read is that Moses is giving them one of them kind of pep speeches. He's like, look, at the end of this, I want you to choose life. I want you to choose it so that you can live and have life and hold fast to God. He's your length of days and all that jazz. But at the beginning, he's like, listen, when all these curses have come upon you, basically, bro, you're going to mess it up. I want you to do right, but you ain't going to do right. Right? One of Gene and I's favorite movies came on yesterday. We were in the bed. One of my favorite characters to ever be named. Can't get right. <laughs> 
This is some good exposition I'm giving you right now. You need to write this down. Because your name is can't get right. You can't get right. Moses said, look, man, when all these blessings have come upon you, and when you and your children return to the Lord and God obey, he's assuming they're not going to keep the law. First 10 verses is just a contingency. When y'all blow it, let me just tell you how to come back. My God. So he starts out. He says, man, you're pretty much going to fail. Your mom and your dad and your uncle them failed. That's why they're not here right now. They've already perished because they couldn't keep the law. And you will not be able to do it yourselves. But this is so funny. Why will we fail? We'll go to verses 11 through 14. All, all that's about is so crazy. He says, what I'm commanding you to do, it's not, it's not going to be really difficult. It's not beyond your reach. It's not up in the heavens, right? You, nobody's going to have to ascend into the third heavens or board some rocket ship to go get it. What I'm telling you to do is not hard. Uh, uh, you know, I listened to a sermon basically say um, that they were reading somebody's book. And, and essentially, everybody, if you ask anybody from any religion, any corner of the world, is something wrong with the world? Everybody say, yeah, man, something's wrong with the world, right? And everybody, there's so many books from all kinds of disciplines, all kinds of religions on how we should live. And this one particular author was essentially saying, hey, man, the problem is that we don't know that something's wrong. Everybody knows what we should be doing. We just can't do it. We know we ought to love our neighbor and treat people right. We just have a problem being able to do it and to work it out. This is the problem, right? You know the law. This is not some kind of uh, uh, um, super difficult uh, equation to figure out. This is not hidden in the super third heavens of spirituality. You know what to do. You can't do it. I wonder if anybody's ever felt that way in here before. Why do we fail? Because something's wrong with our heart. And Moses alludes to them. He alludes this to them in uh, verse 6. He says, at some point, the Lord will circumcise your heart and the hearts of your descendants so that you may be able to love him with all your heart, your soul, and that you can live. What is your heart? Tim Keller says simply, it's the control center of your whole being. Think about the heart. It's, Keller says, it's where you learn to trust in something. It's where you learn to tre treasure something. It is where you decide what to put your hope in. In, in. in Keller's sermon on Deuteronomy 30, he references this guy named Archbishop William Temple who says that religion is what you do with your solitude. And what the guy was getting at was essentially this. He said, man, you can know what you have your hope in. You can know what you have your treasure in. You can know what you are truly anchoring on when you are in solitude and you have nothing else to think about. What does your heart drift towards? I'll just be honest. When I ain't got nothing to think about, I ain't got nothing to get ready. I'm probably going back to the Warriors. Some apple fritters. Gina, you third, so just be you third. You're right. Sorry, baby. That's right, that's right. I can't be perfect. But the reality is, 
It's exposing something about their heart that I think they know true and I think we probably know is true in our own hearts. Is that this is not a default position to love God. It is not anything we would ever naturally do. Go back and read Romans 3. None of us seek righteousness. No, not one of us. And as a matter of fact, when we have the opportunity to anchor in, to put our hope in, to trust in any other thing beside him, like rats attracted to cheese, like a moth to fly, we just run to everything else but him. What's the solution? It's the gospel. But what was so crazy is, You didn't think you were getting the gospel in Deuteronomy 30, but you were absolutely getting it, right? At first reading, you would would think that, oh, okay, Moses is talking to them right now, and he's telling them how to get their life together right now and how to live in God's life and blessing and experience his fullness right now, which he is. But if you went back with us to 1 Corinthians 12, as we started walking through spiritual gifts, Moses is also prophetic. He's foretelling. He's doing some foreshadowing of how this is actually going to work out. How is God going to solve the problem that he has a people who he has desperately desired to set his affection on? He has a people that he has split a billion gallon sea to bring them to safety so that they can enjoy a life beyond their wildest imaginations, but he can never get them to fully trust him. How is he going to solve it? He going to circumcise their hearts. <laughs> he going to write his words on their heart so that they could love him. So that they could find their hope and fulfillment in him. Look at how your Bible sinks together. When Paul goes through that familiar refrain of how we are to be saved. How, listen, Come on, Avenue, let me, Brady, let me see the evangelistic skills in here. If you got one passage, the ABCs of salvation, where are you going to take somebody if they're trying to figure out how to get saved? Romans 10, 9 and 10, I heard you say it. Praise the Lord, amen, that's good. <laughs> right, what's the ABCs? If I acknowledge, oh God, come on, man, where the ba- I thought we had some Baptist roots in here. We need some missionary, maybe it was missionary Baptist roots, right, huh? that's right that's right we acknowledge that we are sinner we believe in the lord jesus we confess that that he is lord look at the verses that come before that look at what paul uses he says listen romans this is 10 and verse 6 he says but the righteousness that is by faith says do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven that is to bring christ down who will descend into the abyss that is to bring christ up from the dead But what does it say? The word is near you. It is in your mouth and it is in your heart. That is the word, the word of faith we are proclaiming. What's Paul doing? He's he, the great evangelist of the New Testament. He's trying to lead people to finding life, eternal life in Jesus. And what does he quote? He quotes Deuteronomy 30. He says, hey, the same principle that will lead you to life is what's here now. It's not a far off. It's not somewhere where you, it's inaccessible. But if you would just simply believe on the Lord Jesus, you will find life and life of abundance. But it's super simple, 
but it is incredibly difficult. That's the problem. But yo, that's the grace of Deuteronomy 30. Do you really understand that? That you know, y'all know y'all grace and works police. Do you really know the difference, right? You the grace and works police, right? That how do we identify if it's a work? Well, if I'm doing something to earn salvation, we call it a work. What's grace, y'all? See, in Deuteronomy 30, it doesn't just come straight out and say, hey, this is foreshadowing the gospel. But it really is because anytime we get things that we're not doing or deserving, it's grace. Your mama them perished in the wilderness and you're going to perish in the wilderness. But I got a plan. I'm going to circumcise your heart. Can I just read some more of that? I got to go back to it real quick. Can I, I just want, listen here, somebody. If the Lord is speaking and if he is true and if his grace is beautiful, I just, as I'm reading this beautiful passage of scripture and you see your nasty guilt-ridden life in the middle of this, I just want to hear you chatter at me. If something feels good to you, I just want to hear you say amen. He says, oh, when all these blessings and curses I have set before you come on you, and you take them to heart wherever the Lord your God disperses you among the nations, and when you and your children return to the Lord your God and obey him with all your heart and with all your soul, according to everything I commanded you today, then the Lord your God will restore your fortunes and have compassion on you and gather you again from all the nations where he scattered you. Listen at this one, y'all. Even if you have been banished to the most distant land under heaven, from there the Lord your God will gather you and bring you back. Why? Because you did it right? No, because he's so good. He will bring you to the land that belonged to your ancestors, and you will take possession of it. He will make you prosperous and numerous more than your ancestors. The Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the hearts of your descendants so that you will be able to love him with all your heart and with all your soul. And the Lord your God will put all these curses on your enemies who hate you and persecute you. You will again obey the Lord and follow all his commands I am giving you today. Then the Lord your God will make you prosperous in all the work of your hands and in the fruit of your womb, the young of your livestock and the crops of your land. The Lord will again delight in you and make you prosperous just as he delighted in your ancestors. If you obey the Lord your God and keep his commands and decrees that are written in the book of the law and turn to the Lord your God with all your heart and your soul. You better be careful how you talk about prosperity gospel. Because I just read a whole lot of prosperity in there. And I think it's exactly what Jesus is saying in John 10 and 10. Come to me and find life and have it to the full. There are benefits from following Jesus. Let's land this plane, man. Keller goes on to say that essentially as we try to wrap our heads around grace and works, and we, we see this framework of, of life and blessing and futility and chaos. When you follow God, there is life and blessing and prospering that comes from that. And when you choose to follow any other thing but God, there's futility, chaos, and death that ensues. But how is it presented in Deuteronomy 30? It's a choice. It is absolutely a choice. If you end up in hell, it's because you chose to be there. 
You chose it because you have two options. Come to me, have life and blessing and fullness. All other roads, futility, chaos, and death. But here's the thing. Here's the subtle difference. We earn hell. But if we end up to he- in heaven, it's all because of grace. That's, the, that's strange. Like, you know what I'm saying? It's like, okay, we chose, man. We just didn't want that. But if anything good and beautiful happens from our life and it leads to uh, living in God's eternal presence and living with his spirit, in it, it's because he circumcised our heart and he's drawn us by his grace. But we got to choose the life, y'all. And we could sit here as church-going Americans and just be like, oh, yeah. And we just, yeah, of course I'm choosing life. If you tell millions of people perished in the desert, and we just assume that, oh, yeah, of course I'm choosing life. Y'all, I just, I think that's faulty logic. I think these passages are in here to keep us sober-minded about the reality of how hard it is to keep from putting our trust and hope in other things. In this cesspool of America where literally it's your careers, your family, your jobs, your identity, your sexuality, your politics, whatever it is, we are so attached to the other things. And now you go back to the litmus test. What do you go to when you don't have nothing else to think about? Man, I wonder if this guy gets in office, then the whole world's going to come to an end. Brother, if that's what you're going to, if that's what's dominating your thought, man, the economy's going to, man, I got to get my, if what is dominating the space that doesn't have to have be regulated by anything else? And I want to put it, maybe that thing is threatening to take control of your heart. And you better fight it. Fight it. What does it look like to choose life? Exactly what the scripture says. To love him. To literally set your effect, to muse on him. To be like, man, what am I going to do today? Man, I just want to spend time with Gina. What am I going to do today? Man, I just want to spend time with Jesus. When's the last time you said it? To hear his voice, to hold fast to him. You remember when Recap came and preached, don't let go, to hold fast to Jesus. You know the great temptation is to let go of him and his precious promises. This is the swan song. This is Moses' last speech. Moses has buried friends, family members, and loved ones. And he has seen the results of what it looked like not to love God and to choose life. And he's begging the generation not to do the same. The last generation didn't enter the promised land because they didn't choose life. And neither will the one that I'm preaching to if you do not choose life. And in a really hard left turn, I think as we stare at 
this passage today, I think what's on my heart is for us just to really, truly reevaluate whether or not he is our life. He. He. Is he our life? Is he our hope? Or is it your baby graduating school? Is he your life? Or is it when you finally get there, wherever there is? Is he your strength? Is he your length of days? Do y'all realize how peculiar and exclusive this audience is? This people, everybody's getting the invitation to choose life. But it's only a small group who will do it. And it's only a small group who is doing it. And do you really value your heritage, your call, and your election as being someone who has been redeemed by Christ? Or have you just taken that redemption and not protected it and guarded it and just whatever? And this is, man, we are always looking to add to the number, but it really is a really exclusive kind of club. Because most people don't want to choose the life. They don't want a Lord. They have meaning, value, and purpose outside of some God that you said died on a tree thousands of years ago. They don't want that life, y'all. But that's what you say you have your hope in. Do you value that? I think more than valuing that, I think, are you bearing the responsibility to intentionally pass that on? I love in Deuteronomy 6, after the Shema, love the Lord your God. The Lord our God is one, love him with your whole heart, mind, soul, and being. He says, oppress them on your children. Talk about the law when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down, when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your hearts and your houses. What, what are you passing on to the next generation? I got a busted up knee, but I'm going to take my busted up knee and I'm going to spend two hours out there with my boy who might not play high school football, one down, and I'm going to tear all my limbs up trying to help him catch footballs. But how often am I sitting down explaining the way of life? Break my neck trying to get him to all the vacays and all this and all that, but how well am I passing down my trust in Jesus? Son, this is our life. If we don't have Jesus, we have nothing, son. Do you feel that serious about it? Maybe you don't. Lily Grace, we have nothing, baby, if Jesus is not our source. We have nothing. Luki, we have nothing, son. We ought to be pitied. We... we People should feel sorry for us if we lose Jesus as the source of our life. Is it that serious to you? It's that serious to Moses. Let's just land the plane here. I don't know where you are, but if you don't know Jesus, the good news is you have options. And it doesn't matter where you find yourself, 
how many t- nights you have spent the night over your boyfriend's house. It doesn't matter sexually how confused you may or may not be. It doesn't matter where you are, how many days you spend outside of God's church, outside of his word. He says, when you're ready to turn, I am here. I delight in showing mercy. I've already baked in a plan. Man, I've tried Christianity. I can't do it because you literally are trying to do it in your own strength. But I have devised a plan to remake you so that you can love me, so that you can follow me. Would you come? For those of us in this room, are we basing our lives off that truth? Is he our life? And are we bearing the responsibility to pass that life on to the next generation?